Listener production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. Tom Tilly with you, joined by Katrina Blouse. And Katrina, I guess you're part of the problem in a way. Um, <laughs> my, my Instagram feed is filling up with people travelling to Bali and Europe. You've been to Bali. Um, are you yeah. seeing the same thing? A lot of people wanting to get overseas at the moment? Oh, so many. And and I feel like everyone I know is in Greece right now. When did Greece become such an aspirational Mm. place to go? But yeah, I I think for for me, it was as soon as I could, I definitely did. And Bali was the cheapest and most accessible place. So off I went. Well, it is a magical place, Bali. I love it. So in this briefing, we're going to see if this goes beyond just a few Instagram posts and get a wider look at what's going on in the travel industry, how it's bouncing back and where people are going. We're seeing some really cool, amazing trends, particularly in Europe at the moment, where trips to Jordan, Israel, Oman, places that weren't necessarily must-sees and do's um, originally, there's some really high demand for that because it's low-density travel. Yeah, that's some cool places that hadn't been on my list. So what travel looks like post-pandemic coming up in today's briefing. But first, here are the headlines. It is Monday, July 18. Nurses will walk off the job today in response to the pressure on hospitals from the winter COVID wave. It'll have an extremely negative effect on our hospitals, not just through uh, more patients taking up beds, uh, but also through knocking out more and more of our doctors, nurses and other staff. So that's Australian Medical Association President Dr Omar Korshad there. Uh, Nurses at two major Sydney hospitals, the Westmead and Blacktown, they'll walk out over chronic understaffing. Victoria's announced an extra $160 million package for 400 more specialists. While nurses in WA are saying patients are being treated in hospital corridors because there's just no more room left. And in South Australia over the weekend, the ambulance service was forced to declare an emergency level one incident due to insufficient resources. So lots of pressure on our health system, um, including a a lot of elective surgeries being delayed again, which only creates more problems down the track. So it's a pretty tough time as the, the cases mount this winter. A national approach to Australia's abortion laws will be up for debate when all eight of the country's ministers for women meet in Adelaide this week. So all of the ministers have indicated they're keen to discuss a national framework to see abortion legislation in every state and territory streamlined and to make the procedure more accessible and affordable. Yeah, so abortion is legal in Australia, but rules vary around the country. Some of the ministers have already said that having this national standard would act as a bit of a defensive measure against any future attempt to roll back abortion rights. Yeah, and that conversation is a reaction to what happened in America with the Supreme Court overturning the Roe versus Wade decision. Uh, At the moment, Western Australia is the only state or territory in Australia where abortion remains under the criminal code. Um, which in practical terms limits abortions to within 20 weeks. Europe is dealing with a record-breaking heatwave. The UK has issued its first ever red warning for extreme heat, saying there's a risk to life. This alert is usually reserved for extreme cold in winter. So temperatures in southern England are expected to top 40 degrees today for the first time since records began. Some schools will close. In Portugal, at least 200 people have died due to the heat, most of them elderly, with temperatures hitting 47. 
Yeah, so this has also led to wildfires, which are active in almost every European country, but especially those around the Mediterranean, like Portugal, Spain, Croatia and Greece. France alone has evacuated more than 14,000 people as blazes take over parts of the country's southwest. And, you know, I guess we're used to heat waves here in Australia, but you've got to remember a lot of the buildings and homes, especially in the UK and London, where they're, they're really copying those big temperatures, they're just not designed to withstand temperatures like this, so people are really struggling. And Australia has a new major golf champion with 28-year-old Cameron Smith claiming the British Open this morning by just one shot. Especially the Aussie guys, uh, you guys really kept me going out there. Uh, This one's for Oz. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Uh, This was a bit of a dramatic win, I hear, at the famous St Andrews course in Scotland. I'm also told by our producer, Dan, who had some uh, vested interest in this win, (laughs) that Smith was inspired by Queensland's win in the state of origin. How about that? Yeah, those reds are pretty inspiring, obviously. Um, Smith is a Queenslander. It is the first time an Australian man has won a major golf tournament since Jason Day in 2015. So that's a big deal. That's seven years. We've been waiting Mm. for another one. And of course, in the women's golf, Aussie Minjay Lee won the US Open earlier this year. All right, Katrina, we'll catch you tomorrow. Rihanna Patrick's about to join me as we talk travel. So, Rihanna, are you like lots of other Aussies just frothing to dust off your passport and get travelling overseas again? Not really, oh. Tom. I'm, um, I'm watching what happens, but I'm still still kind of wondering, you know, how the pandemic is going, what that all means, and I guess still a little bit hesitant. Is that because you, you haven't had it yet? It is. It definitely is. And because I have an elderly father as well that I spend a lot of time with. And so I'm always worried Mm. about being that person. Uh, But I I guess I was a little bit lucky too that I had just travelled just as COVID was breaking out um, in January 2020. So I'd kind of just been on a trip and come back to then everything happening. I'll admit I'm a little bit hesitant, Mm. but it doesn't stop me looking at those amazing photos that everybody else is uploading (laughs) of where they might be in the world, particularly if they're in Fiji. Yeah, well, you can't mute everybody, can you? No. I'm keen as. I'm not as worried about COVID. I've already had it and I'm keen to travel. We just have the small consideration of a 10-month-old baby that um, sort of (laughs) changes our options. But look, even just talking about travelling almost feels like you're travelling, which is what we're about to do. But really interesting that you're still a bit concerned about COVID and that's that's holding you back. I imagine a lot of other people are still feeling the same way, especially if they they have a respiratory problem or they haven't had it yet or they have elderly people they're in touch with all the time. But you've seen the passport queues, but you've also probably seen some of your friends' Instagram feeds. Hundreds of thousands of Aussies are dusting off their passports. So let's find out what they're doing, how travel's coming back, and if it's anywhere near where it was before and What's changed in the whole overseas travel space? Dean Long is the CEO of the Australian Federation of Travel Agents. Dean, thanks for joining us. Australians love to travel overseas, but obviously we've had a major spanner in the works over the last two years. Are we back to pre-pandemic levels yet? No, not quite. Uh, We're definitely seeing a huge level of demand for people wanting to start travelling again. We're still seeing smaller numbers of people leaving the country, and that's just because we don't have the aviation connectivity to get people to the countries where they want to go at the moment. What were the big trends pre-pandemic and are we heading in the same direction now? 
The big trends were things that you'd probably expect. So, I mean, Bali was Australia's number one holiday destination. And I mean, it was one of the more um, interesting um, jokes that we used to make, which was, um, you know, what country are people going to in terms of the most number of people? And people would go, oh, Bali. And you go, oh, hang on, Bali's part of Indonesia. <laughs> Not a country. Um, so, in, so it was uh, always interesting. So Bali was, you know, number one. Then you had um, New Zealand. Uh, and then the US uh, and then the United Kingdom was, was usually the top four destinations people would be travelling to. We're seeing them recover at some really good rates, but, but a little bit lower than what we'd expect. But we're seeing some really cool, amazing trends, particularly in Europe at the moment, where trips to Jordan, Israel, Oman, places that weren't necessarily must-sees and do's um, originally, there's some really high demand for that because it's low-density travel. So people are avoiding at the moment the Disneyland experience because they're looking to stay away from some crowds, have a good time travelling overseas, and then come back home. Dean, because of those changes in the pandemic and how people conduct themselves around others, are there some of those trips that you're seeing that are really about keeping away from those crowds, places, maybe that's, um, are there other interests that are coming into play of the types of holidays that people are taking as part of where they're travelling to? Yeah, no, absolutely. So outdoor experiences have never been more popular. And that's been a really interesting shift where you've got people asking about, you know, what type of ventilation does hotel rooms have? How big are the hotels? Before they were asking what type of towels would be in there. <laughs> um, and so that's been a really interesting trend. And then uh, particularly because the the initial movers for people that are travelling um, were those that are a little bit older. They had a slightly... Um, more risk-adverse approach. They wanted to travel. They had the money to travel. They'd lost two years to not being able to travel. And that's where they were picking some of those really out there destinations. I mean, the the glimpses of Petra uh, was one of the tours which has just been sold out until the end of the year with one of our tour operators. And that just wouldn't have been the case pre-pandemic. That would have been a secondary tour. But the really interesting shift is that they're linking in multiple tours at once. So before you would go overseas, you might do one tour and then you'd do some of the highlights. You'd go to Italy, you'd go to Rome, you'd do those things, you'd then go into London, then you'd come home. Most of those things are now being done in tours so you can avoid the crowds and see things in a different way. Uh, and so that little trend is, is really interesting. And what about Bali? What's happening there? Are we back to full bone sort of bintang singlets where we, we used to be in huge numbers or, or is that taking a while? And is the health system part of that picture? Bali will take a little bit longer to come back, but I'm really encouraged. I mean, Virgin Australia um, only at the end of June just announced uh, direct flights to Bali again. I think it's their second international destination that they're flying to. So we know there'll be an increase in capacity, which will therefore make it easier for more Australians to get to that destination. There is a hesitancy, though, for those countries which uh, there may not be a lot of knowledge or faith in the health system. Those things are still being considered or sort of a health factor that before we just took for granted. If you, you know, broke your arm in Bali, you, you know, get a cast on and come home. If you catch COVID and what does that mean? There is a little bit of fear still out there. We expect them, that market to get back to about 70%. 70% of people won't have a problem with it. They'll, we're living with it now. We'll go with it and things will be... A-OK, particularly if you've got um, travel insurance. And then for that last 30%, though, that is going to be a major hygiene factor for whether they're going to travel or not travel. What's going on with flight prices? 
Well, they're cheaper in some destinations. So I think we're seeing some, some downward pressure on um, domestic flights, which is really, really great to see. There's some amazing deals in the market, but it is really expensive on those international flights at the moment. You know, we've got flights ranging up to $25,000 if you're in a business class um, airfare. And at the moment, if you're going to Europe, if you can find an economy class ticket that is less than $3,000, it's an amazing deal. Buy it today. Really? Um, so I think that's that, bad. Yeah, it's really expensive at the moment. And, Just and Europe? Or is that a lot of other destinations too? Uh, it's primarily Europe at the moment. Um, again, there's a lot of people who want to get over there for European summer. Um, so it's a demand and supply issue. It's the fact that we do have uh, less seats. We've only got, I think we've only got about 30% of the seats of international seats that we had pre the pandemic. Right. Huge level of demand and the price of fuel. I mean, if it costs $2.20 to fill up your car, imagine what it's going to cost to fill up a 787 or an A380. It's just really expensive. So as a result, prices have gone up. So on those international affairs, our advice is book early. There's no such thing as a good late deal anymore. So book as early as you can, lock in the price that you see. If you can get it down at that level, we don't expect to see a, a huge increase in new aviation capacity into Australia between now and the end of the year. So you're really hedging your bets, but we're not seeing any, you know, mass increase of, you know, another 100 A380s returning to Australia. It's just not going to happen because they're missing flight crew. Pretty much every airline kept their pilots, but they let their flight crew go. And as a result, they all went and found other jobs that didn't have 12-hour layovers in, in hotels. They could actually spend some time with their families. So they're really struggling to fill those aircrew positions at the moment. That sort of gives me the sense that it's actually going to take a really long time before we get back to normal. And it's not just about being allowed to travel. There are so many factors, um, especially staffing, as you just highlighted. How long do you think it is before we get back to sort of normal levels of, of travel, spend, available flights? We're forecasting, we probably think the end of next year is where we'll start to see some downward oh. pressure on flights where it starts to, to match up. But really, these prices are going to continue easily for the next 18 months plus it's going to take time for the low-cost carriers to come in. So if we think what really drove down prices pre the pandemic, where your, your Air Asia X's, your Jetstar Internationals, your Scoots, those planes that were selling really cheap airfares into short-haul Asia, that's what drove down those prices. Um, and they are just not flying again. I don't think there's a single budget carrier flying into Australia on the international routes at the moment. And so as a result, prices are going to be there. If they come back earlier, then hopefully we can see some downward pressure and we can get more people travelling overseas again. What about our own tourism industry? Are travellers coming back to Australia in, in numbers that are anywhere near what they were before the pandemic? No, unfortunately, we aren't seeing people picking up to come back to Australia um, at the anywhere near the pre-pandemic rates. Um, and that's really disappointing. A lot of people are choosing to holiday closer to home. Um, so our tyranny of distance is going to be a really major factor. The good thing is we, we know during the pandemic, there was about a 30% increase in spend by Australians on domestic experiences. So we need people to keep doing that. Um, as well as having their international holiday. And if we can do that, we'll, we'll, we'll maintain a lot of the great gains that we've made in the domestic space. Well, I think the funny thing that happened in terms of domestic travel was that it just got so expensive that, you know, staying in a hotel anywhere nice on the East Coast or even Airbnbs, the, the prices became exorbitant. And I feel like a lot of us are wondering whether you get better value going overseas now. 
that was definitely one of the problems. So what was fueling that was really interesting is the same issue we were just speaking about earlier, which was they didn't have the workforce. So if we look at some of the major resorts in Australia, most of them are running at a maximum capacity of 70%. Mm. They've closed 30% of their rooms because they cannot service them. Wow. Um, that's because there's not enough cleaners, there's not enough um, reception staff, there's not enough people to do the maintenance on the rooms. And so what that has meant is there's no doubt, I think if, if we're being honest about it as an industry, as a collective, there are things that we, we had a once-in-a-generation opportunity to get people to fall back in love with Australian domestic tourism and we probably didn't do as, as great a job as we could have. And we're going to have to reflect on that and work out how we improve our performance as a collective to win people back next time we get that opportunity because we, we can't mess that opportunity again. That was Dean Long from the Australian Federation of Travel Agents. Interesting to hear that still COVID bottlenecks and staff shortages are affecting so many areas of our whole lives, basically, but including travel. And also, um, Rihanna, that domestic travel was so expensive that we actually missed a one in 100 year opportunity to keep Aussies spending their money on tourism here rather than the old thing of going overseas. But really interesting too that he mentioned that outdoor experiences is where people are mostly heading and that that's been the change because of the pandemic, which I can definitely understand of not maybe wanting to be in those places that typically have a lot of big crowds. Yeah, and I wonder if that's going to be a lasting trend that changes behaviour in a longer term way or whether eventually we still just go back to our old, as he said, Bali, New Zealand, UK, America. Yeah, maybe it's given us a bit more of an appreciation of really exploring those outdoor spaces because that's the experience that some of us only had was that time outdoors. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see if that trend continues as uh, more borders open, as people get their passports uh, and to really see what this travel industry is really going to look like. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we're finding out about the pill testing service that's opening up in the ACT. It's an Australian first. Listener.